it, it's funny. I, uh, I might say this with my friends, like I'm not a product guy. I was never going to find some product that I came up with that was totally transformational. I like going after unsexy opportunities that, you know, you can, you can create a lot of pursuing. Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Bank Tech Ventures, first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. Bank Tech identifies leading products and technologies for community banks and works with the founders and management teams to maximize the impact for community banks and their businesses. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in the future or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to Bank Tech Ventures at banktechventures.com. My guest on the podcast today is John Mizzy. He is the founder and CEO of Vero Technologies. And my simple definition of them would be that they are a commercial credit platform for banks to utilize and really helps them improve how they offer and manage inventory financing to their business customers. We'll talk a bunch about that today, uh, as well as sort of the state of fintech and lending and banking. And I always like talking about entrepreneurs' journeys, so we'll delve into that as well. Uh, I'm also super excited to welcome John to the Bank Tech Ventures family as our most recent portfolio company investment. John, thanks for joining me today. Excited to uh, share more about this with the world. Thanks for having me, Kerry. Absolutely. So let's start with the, the sort of the beginning of, of Vero. You help them do inventory financing and offering that to the market. Historically, that's been a challenge. Um, somebody like an mm -hmm. auto dealer is a very obvious example of where this is both a big opportunity and a challenge. So why not, uh, let's start with explaining why that has historically been so difficult and how you guys have really started to attack improving that and making it way more palatable, efficient, and profitable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so inventory financing or otherwise known as floor planning, wholesale financing, it's a relatively straightforward type of credit product that's been around for decades. Mm -hmm. It operates structurally like a revolving line of credit, albeit a lender has a secured interest in the individual assets that have been financed through the program. And so if you think of an individual auto dealer who's retailing hundreds, if not thousands of cars every year, each of those vehicles effectively is a receivables originated against it. It has a unique payment schedule. It has documents associated with the individual asset that need to be managed. And so unlike a mortgage that's going to sit on a bank's books for 20 or 30 years, you're originating receivables that typically have a 45 to 75 day duration. And so it becomes operationally intensive if you don't have the right systems in place and operations to support that high volume, short duration type of lending activities. With that being said, many banks historically have shied away from offering this type of credit product. If you don't do things the right way, there's definitely inherent risk. And that's led uh, you know, a handful of specialty finance 
um, companies to really dominate the market and different players that cover different verticals across auto, RV, power sports, manufactured homes, agricultural equipment. And so ultimately dealers end up paying a premium for this type of uh, business critical credit offering, but also they source it from outside of their banking relationship. So they have to maintain multiple touch points with multiple organizations in order to find all of the different solutions from a banking and credit perspective that they need to run their businesses. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's created complication for them clearly and uh, their banks. So fast forward now, you you saw this as a, a the way that the market was operating and clearly mm-hmm. from your perspective, suboptimally. So how are you making this a much more efficient way for the bank and probably I would assume the dealer to operate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the first thing we did, and, and obviously this is critical, but we've built from the ground up an operating system for wholesale financing. So everything from digital applications and underwriting, connecting suppliers, dealers, and their lender on a single platform, and then using a variety of different tools to streamline the entire lending life cycle from originations to collections, asset verification, risk monitoring, um, and every other business function that you can think of. And so with that technology solution, we enable our bank partners to offer this new commercial credit product in most cases and scale their programs um, but we, the, the one other piece or barrier to entry that was really getting in the way of banks offering this type of credit product historically was just not having the internal credit expertise. Um, sure. as I mentioned, it's typically sitting with those specialty finance companies who are doing this. And so, um, rather than asking a bank to go source someone with this expertise or to build out a team internally, Um, Behind our technology platform, we provide a variety of different operational services, titling, on-site audits. We interface with suppliers on behalf of our bank partners. Mm. And so really the technology and services offering together allows our banks to offer this type of credit product without adding any headcount or investing in new systems. Yeah, which that's huge because it sounds like then if I'm a bank that maybe has a couple auto dealer clients, I could confidently still offer this. Or if I've had historically, maybe a couple people in a wholesale or inventory finance group, but they're capped by the size, I could now look to scale that and and try to become more competitive in the market and at a bigger scale. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we like to think of it almost as a shared services platform where yep. we can expand and be that dynamic um resource rather than a bank having to figure out how to solve that challenge internally. Yeah. Makes, makes a ton of sense. So just to state maybe the obvious, but I don't know if this is talked about enough. I mean, it seems like for a lot of traditional community banks, companies like auto dealers and other larger ticket item retailers, like several that you mentioned are probably some of the biggest local businesses in their community. And I mean, have, have you have you talked to banks that have, have sort of just openly allowed this market to leave them? Or like, you know, how how do you think about 
because it seems like you're you're giving them the opportunity to win those back to keep them uh you know like how do you think about this because it seems like a very strategic enabling opportunity yeah i mean maybe i'll just take a step back to to kind of how we came up with this whole engagement model but as we were getting started you know our idea was here's a massive market opportunity the lenders who are operating in the space today um are all using relatively archaic systems and technologies and it's been underinvested in. And so mm-hmm. why not build out a new technology solution? As we were getting started, um, you know, we had conversations with dealers and we asked them about where were they sourcing their wholesale financing and what was their experience, but also who were they banking with? And what we found that was interesting is the vast majority of the dealers we were talking to were banking with their local community bank rather than the Chases and Wells Fargo's of the world. And so having spoken to those community bankers that our dealers were working with, what was shocking was everyone knows what wholesale financing is. Mm-hmm. It's because you know whether the dealers have come to them asking for it or they've explored doing it in the past, or perhaps they did do it 10 or 20 years ago. I think the, the biggest challenge was, especially for those that had done it in the past, they knew how much of a pain in the butt it could be. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't necessarily that the bankers are saying, oh, you know, we're missing out on this business. It was more so the way we did it back then, we don't ever want to deal with that. So we're okay with this business going away. When we can educate our bank partners on how easy we can make it and show them the technology that enables us to do that, then it's really the, you know, what I love to hear. And what, when I hear this, it, it makes my day, but when a banker says, well, damn, if we had these systems in place back then, we never would have gotten out of the business. Sure. So let's let's pivot the conversation a little bit. I mean, we we both have built over the last several years, you know, fintech platforms and, and lending platforms. I mean, you you guys as as part of this had to go originate some of this yourself, really to kind of prove it. And absolutely. You know, there are a lot of fintechs out there that have done that and then just decided, you know what, I'm gonna go compete with the banks as opposed to partnering with them, you've really chosen to aggressively go down this partner route and work Absolutely. with a whole bunch of banks. Why, what, what led you, you know, why are you going that route? Yeah. I mean, I think what we learned in the very early conversations we had with dealers is their bank, especially for dealers that are working with their community banks, um, that's their preferred financial services provider. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to have three or four different sure. relationships. Yep. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think there has been a humming of age for fintechs where 10 years ago, banks kind of looked at, all right, fintechs play in their sandbox, we play in ours, and there's not a lot of cross-pollination. And I think with the maturation of fintech as a category, um, banks recognize that fintechs can fill very specific niche gaps that they mm-hmm. have. And, you know, you always hear about banks, you go to AOBA, you hear them talking about, well, we can build by or partner to, you know, achieve an objective. But in our case, um, you know, we see the partner path as being the most mutually beneficial um, and allow for the most flexibility to continue evolving um, our, our network of bank partners over time. Yeah. Makes, it makes sense. I think back to what you were saying earlier with 
kind of this opportunity to provide shared services mm-hmm. uh, behind it, you know, you're you're giving them some fractional additional capabilities that they're not likely to bring in house, but are necessary to to provide a full solution to the market. So I I do agree. I like how you describe that, and I think we're going to only see an increase in the number of those kinds of partners in various categories. And if you think about it, it's it's the same way that banks have been working with bankers banks or with mm-hmm. um, you know credit unions working with QSOs. Sure. There are a variety of services that it doesn't make sense for a bank to in-house. And so we are just, you know, in a way, a very focused solution provider, albeit engaging with banks in the same way that they engage with bankers banks mm-hmm. already. Yeah, great, great analogy. That that's um, very useful. So when you hear from a bank today, you let's say you go call on a bank that is working with auto dealers as core mm-hmm. banking, and they're not doing inventory financing, they either don't want to, it's too hard, they, they didn't make money in it, whatever it's been in the past. Yep. Why are they not going to do it today with with in partnership with you? Yeah, I mean... The pendulum has swung over the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were initially, you know, we participated in the 2022 Think Tech Accelerator Program. And at that point in time, there was excess liquidity in the marketplace. Banks were sitting on an abundance of deposits and everyone was figuring out how can we grow our loan portfolios. Sure. Um, you know, today that pendulum has swung towards deposit gathering. And so, um, you know, what's interesting is the banks that we're working with today are actually using this as a deposit gathering tool. Yes. You offer a diversified solution that a business needs. They will jump on the hook and bring all of their business behind yep. them um, yep. to follow. Now, um, you know, for a bank that has a strong equipment financing program across the network of dealers or a strong consumer indirect lending program um, across the network of dealers, you know, the, the objection is really just a matter of, do we have the capacity to successfully execute on this partnership initiative? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's something that we understand. I, uh, we actively um, are having conversations with 20, and 20 to 30 banks that have all said, look, we want to do this, but we're going through an LOS implementation sure. or a core migration, or we're hiring a new commercial lending leader. And so once that's done, you know, then we're going to reassess what the timeline mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a fintech perspective, we obviously, our, our solution is just to keep a very full pipeline and make sure that we're being supportive of our prospective bank partners in a way that when they're ready, they'll jump on board. Um, but as far as the regular objections, you know, a lot of it is simply a matter of um, having the capacity to successfully educate, uh, execute on the initiative and having the ambition to, you know, do things that are a little bit outside of the box relative to the the bread and butter businesses and operations that they're accustomed to. Sure. Yeah, all all makes sense. I think we we continue to see a lot of that, which is not full objection. We're not going to do this. It's maybe not yet, not now. Yeah. Uh, but I also just to call out, I like how you offer uh, a continuum of service that says. Hey, if you want this to be really, really lightweight for you 
and and you want to just kind of market the capability that's available if you want to really become super capable in this area and add some of your own special sauce to it you can go all the way that direction as well right so you have this yep. nice almost menu of of offerings which i think is important and i think we'll see more fintech start to to go that way we like to meet our bankers wherever they're at yeah yeah that's a great way to sum it up let's let's zoom out just a little as you're looking overall at just i'll call it commercial lending innovation mm -hmm. any particular things you're paying attention to yeah. in that and thinking over the next couple of years will be really interesting yeah i mean where do i start um i think the big one and i mean frankly we see this challenge with some of our banks um today is underwriting hmm. um you know and and it's um in a way the underwriting process needs to be a series of hoops that a business needs to jump through in order to qualify mm -hmm. for credit Mm -hmm. Um, but the flip side of that is I think there is a massive opportunity for a bank to improve their internal operations, both to provide a better customer experience, but frankly, just to create additional capacity within their organizations without adding headcount. Um, you know, there's a lot of great systems that kind of play different components in the underwriting process, but mm -hmm. I think if you can tie those together successfully, um, it allows for increased capacity, better outcomes, more data-driven decision-making, um, and generally will just enhance your commercial lending business down the road. Um, beyond that, I think we still see um, a ton of opportunity in terms of using the latest and greatest um, alternative data and open banking solutions to in improve risk monitoring. Um, you know, these are a lot of ideas and concepts that we've incorporated into how we manage our platform and mm -hmm. provide uh, an enhanced risk mitigation service for our bank partners. But I think broadly, there's so many aha moments that we've had um, that I totally believe are applicable across other types of commercial loan products that our banks are offering. And so I think um, for other fintechs, there's opportunities there to jump on, you know, figuring out what the application is within commercial real estate or within um, working capital financing um, or receivables financing. And so um, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens in those different verticals. Thanks for sharing those. And I think your, your point on having those aha moments because you are doing some of this yourself is really helpful. Uh, I, I think that's one of the best ways to help others benefit from new ideas is to having lived through and done them yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely to be, I mean, to be honest, it's an interesting point that applies in how we approach business development and how we approach um, product. Uh, there are so many folks that are cagey about talking about their ideas or findings mm -hmm. or, you know, secret sauce. But for us, the network effect of being very open is has, we've had a significant ROI on that through the relationships we've established rather than trying to be a little bit cagey around, uh, you know, talking about how we do things. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good, a good transition, John, let's, let's turn to you and let's talk a little bit about you as an entrepreneur. 
Um, as you think about Vero, there are any number, you know, your background, you were, you was pretty varied in some of the other things you had done prior. It wasn't like you had spent your life in a bank as a wholesale finance lender or in a auto dealer or something like that. So if all the potential ideas and startups you could have started, how did you end up finding your way into this opportunity? Yeah, um, probably shouldn't admit this, but five years ago, I don't think I could have explained how wholesale financing works. Sure. Um, it's really, you know, I think with every startup journey, at least for mine, um, it was less a matter of what I was going to build. It was more a matter of, I need to build an organization that is my own, um, mm-hmm. and mine and my partners and, and our teams. Um, I wanted to build a, a company that was a reflection of the values um, that we have as a founding team. And um, uh, I just, I wanted to know that, you know, the, the, it was on me and, and our my two co-founders to to really make things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as how we came up with the idea, um, you know, I was running another fintech previously. We had a client engagement with a lender who was operating in this space. Classic case of a very sharp uh, team of financial operators who were making great returns, but they were using the exact same playbook that they had implemented 15 years prior when they got mm-hmm. started. Um, and, you know, I started my career at Bank of America and in so many ways that that was a, the case I observed there. I worked at a asset management business and it was very much the case where you, it's almost once you have success in the financial services world, you focus on risk mitigation and yep. compliance and focus much less on opportunistically going after new things. And so, um, as we started digging in further and further, we learned what wholesale financing was all about. And we saw how big of a market it is. You know, it's a $750 billion a year financing opportunity in the United States alone, 3 trillion globally. And as we, you know, started figuring out how do we, what is the opportunity? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of it was just a matter of the ideas that we had in early 2020. I would I would like to think what we're doing today is simply an evolution of those ideas. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we jumped in because this was an exciting market that we saw had been underinvested in from a technology standpoint. And there was an opportunity to do things differently. Um, you know, the rest of, of what we've put together were not knowings or knowledge that we had on day zero, but were things that we learned along the way, being curious and putting in a lot of hard work. Yeah, all great instructive lessons for other existing or aspiring entrepreneurs too. I mean, get in a a big stream that's moving. Yeah, like, yeah. I, 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 it's funny. I, uh, I, I might say this with my friends, like, I'm not a product guy. I don't use a lot of apps. I don't, I'm not super, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of different things that I'm passionate about. So I was never going to find some product that I came up with that was totally transformational. I like going after unsexy opportunities that you know you can, you can create a lot of pursuing. Totally makes sense. You had previously started a company. You, you'd you know, done a few other things, as you said, 
What have you learned new about yourself through this particular journey? I don't think we would have had the success I've had with, or we've had with Vero if it wasn't for the learnings and mistakes and dead mm-hmm. ends that we hit in, in my prior endeavors. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the most important thing was to, from every challenge that needed to be overcome from every dead end that we've hit, it was taking the time to actually figure out what did I learn from this experience? Mm-hmm. I, I've made it a priority to do a lot of that reflective work through the last seven, eight years. And I think it allowed me to not only have much more confidence as we were in the early days of company building with Vero, but also figure out, you know, and internalize decision-making frameworks, mental models, just a way of operating that I would not have without that, those experiences. Thank you for sharing. That's, that's helpful. You also, I mean, it seems like you've also sought out others to help you, right? You've been through an incubator, you've been through an accelerator. Typically, there's a lot of mentorship and other approaches, processes that that get implemented through that. What what can you share about those experiences and, and how that's been for you? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to know what you're looking to accomplish before you jump into any of those mm-hmm. types of programs, or you can end up spinning your wheels just going through the exercises that they prescribe and it doesn't really you know, come out to a net positive. As far as, you know, the accelerator, we, uh, I met my co-founder, Isaac Zafrani through, um, the antler program Mm -hmm. antlers an early stage VC, but also helps some folks have ideas. Other folks have operating experience. And our joke is it was like speed dating for a Mm co-founder. Um, but you know what, I think the, the primary value that the antler program provided was really as I jumped into the abyss of starting something, it provided a structure um, and the guidance of, you know, just having a venture investor who you met with weekly, who gave you feedback, good and bad, was really critical in terms of making sure we were focusing on the right things and positioning Vero to become venture investable. Um, I think looking back, you know, what we accomplished over six months would have taken us 12 to 18 months outside of the Antler program. Hmm. And, you know, Antler is more of a generalist early stage accelerator. Hmm. The Think Tech program that we had participated in, it, it was the next stage of our company's life cycle where we had a product, we were in the market, we had a very specific hypothesis that we needed to validate around substantiating there was interest amongst community banks to partner with us. And so, um, you know, think tech, we were, it was, it was like throwing jet fuel on the fire um, Mm -hmm. in terms of validating the positioning of Vero as it relates to our lending as a service program, building out a pipeline of banks, getting feedback around some of the things that we need to refine and really getting us into the market as far as building out a a lending as a service program where we do partner with those community banks. You've been a huge advocate for community banking. We've talked about it throughout this conversation as well. Uh, You mentioned the ThinkTech program, which is obviously sponsored by the ICBA, and you're now part of our BankTech portfolio. What, What is it that you most appreciate as you think about working with and in the community banking 
world? You know, when I was working at Bank of America, I used to think it was crazy that the credit decisioning models for the mortgage business were all controlled out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. How could someone in Charlotte, North Carolina understand the local real estate market dynamics in Portland, Oregon? Mm-hmm. So if I think about community banking, who is better situated to support the commercial banking needs of the businesses in their respective community, particularly when you're thinking outside of major urban areas, but in the secondary and tertiary Mm -hmm. suburban and rural markets where many of these banks are located other than the banks, you know, yes, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's tons and tons of data out there and data-driven decisioning, and you can make models that work great. But at the end of the day, so much of banking is the relationship Mm -hmm. and managing um, the business owners who are ultimately your decision maker as to whether or not, you know, especially a bank and doing commercial lending, whether or not they're going to get their money back. Mm -hmm. So I think community banks are a critical piece of infrastructure that any small and medium sized business in the United States would be making a mistake if they don't take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, look, ability and willingness to pay, which are sort of the hallmarks of lending, are still very real. Yeah, Um, you can have data-driven decision models, but when it comes to a business who's falling on hard times, that relationship makes a hell of a difference. Yeah, well, this has been super fun. I got a couple more questions, John. Um, Let's first start with what's ahead for Vero this year? What are you most excited about for the second half of, of this year for you? Yeah. I mean, I think we're finally realizing this vision that we've had where Mm. we now have programs through a variety of different banks covering auto, RV, power sports, agricultural equipment. We've got a lawnmower dealer on the platform today. Mm. There's so many opportunities. And so it's fun now to think through we kind of have a framework we've developed around what's a good opportunity and what's an opportunity that maybe doesn't make sense right now for us Mm -hmm. and putting the pieces together to pursue those new opportunities is that's my favorite part of the job. I've got a blank sheet of paper and we get to just put together a game plan um, Mm -hmm. and then execute on it. You know, the next six months is going to be really heads down, making sure that we execute successfully on these three or four new deployments that are in the hopper and then driving towards profitability is really the, you know, the, the 12 month game plan here. So we're at a point now where it's not the seed pre-seed stage of just wheeling and dealing and putting stuff mm-hmm. together. You know, now we're in, it's, I would say the tasks that we have to execute on are a little bit less fun. You know, we have a team of 25 and we have to take care of our people and make sure our organization is evolving as we continue to add headcount and complexity. But at the end of the day, I think we've we've got some a very solid foundation now, and we get to build on top of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's what we're we're thinking about, and that's what we're going to be focused on. Uh, great input for my last question. You you talked about the lessons you've learned in prior endeavors that's helped you now. You you now have a really big company to go build that's in front of you. Um, it it it's never easy. Um, you you have to level up as a, as a result of this. And I know you know that. What do you feel like are the biggest areas of personal growth for you to invest in 
Yeah. The thing that I've spent the most time working on, I think over the last few months is it's no longer just, uh, you know, Isaac and I trying to play shot caller and be part of every conversation. We need to put the systems in place for our team of senior management around us to successfully grow their respective teams and manage their respective teams and take ownership of their respective business functions. And it's a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you go from an eight person company where everyone's part of every decision and every conversation to a 18 person company where you start to have some delineation of roles Mm -hmm. and teams. And, you know, when you get to 30, then it's, well, you need to stay in your lane and do that. And you own this and you need to take care of that. But by the way, five things are going to be going on over here and there's not enough time in the day to keep you on the loop on all of them. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out the right balance of maintaining communication, continuing to maintain the collegial culture that we have, but at the same time, really refining reporting, or I, I should say the kind of organizational model that we implement as we continue scaling is, um, it's a challenge and it's not something that you can put in place today and it's going to be functioning 12 months from now. So it's something that requires constant attention and TLC to make sure that, um, you know, we, we are managing successfully. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I always enjoy our, our conversations, John, uh, really excited for our partnership and, and bank tech Me too. Uh, involvement Me too. as well. So much more to talk about so much more to do, but um, a great, Great place to end for today, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks again for having me, Carrie. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.